God bless you. Let's turn to in your Bibles. If you would jump with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I am on a very, I'm on a series on honor. And uh, we're talking about what it is to be born again. And I discovered about a year ago when I was in prayer and the Lord was touching my heart, even about this series a year ago, the Lord really began to show me that for most people in Christianity and most people in the church, most people see the church is actually just more of a rescue mission. In fact, many people today that come to church, maybe they come religiously, some come because they really love the Lord, but for the most part, the church has been more of a rescue mission where we're here to help people. And for years, that's been my train of thinking, to rescue you, to help you when you're in problems, to help you become a better person. And about a year ago, the Lord really did some renovation in my thinking and said, Ray, I have so much more than just making the church a hospital or a rescue mission. In fact, the Lord began to really speak to my heart through some other books and reading the Word, that God's plan and desire is for the church to rise to be empowered with the Holy Spirit and to accomplish a task. In other words, God's plan is to honor His people. God wants to honor you. God's plan is to empower you with that abundant life so your light and your life will shine and be a reflection to others. Amen? You're not, you're not just here hanging on for the rapture. We're here because there's an assignment been given to the church. Jesus summed it up in one word. It was go. Everyone say go. He said go into all the world and preach the good news or the gospel in all the world. It's good news. It's not bad news. It's not boring news. It's really good news. And his intent was to expand, increase, and bring the very best of life. And you know, one of the things that I, I've come to find out is just as a Christian, as a, as a pastor, is that so much of the time we've lived way below our full potential. In fact, there's a real devil and that devil doesn't want you to see anything exciting about the kingdom of God. The devil doesn't want you to think there's a future for you in the kingdom of God. All he wants you to think is that salvation is the end game. Most people believe today, it's sad to say, in America, they think that the only thing that's important is just to get saved so I don't have to go to hell. Unfortunately, that's not why Jesus saved you just to spare you from hell. Now, that's a, that's a big one, and thank God He is, we're spared from hell when we find Christ and we discover Him. But it was so much bigger than that. And so we're going to be looking at some things this morning about what it is to be born again. If we could go ahead and turn my, my overhead on what it means to be born again. And uh, I thought I'd bring some pictures this morning because, you know, I'm a, I'm a grandfather a one-year-old grandfather, and about a year ago, uh, we have two daughter-in-laws, and my sons gave birth to a boy and a girl. And you know, 
just coming into grandpahood has just been an exciting journey for us. And uh, I wanted to show you a couple of, here's a picture of my little granddaughter, little Reagan. And you know, as I'm kissing her little forehead there, she's smiling. And uh, I'm so proud of that little picture there, my little granddaughter there. And also I got a little grandson coming up here. But you know what the birth brings? It, do you know that when babies are born, do you know what it brings to the family? It brings joy. How many of you ever been excited when your babies were born? Did you get excited? I don't know about you, but man, we had a party. Reagan and Ethan, they've come into the world, and what do we do? We celebrate, don't we? We don't bring any black balloons out and say, oh no. Oh no, here they are. They're, they're, they're in the world now. Oh man, what we think, poopy diapers and our clothes will be messed up and sleepless nights. We never think of those things. We think of the little gift that God has given to us. And here's David and Kim, and they were so proud of their little baby Reagan. And then we have uh, Ethan, and we have Shannon and Jared. Uh, they're in the hospital right after Ethan was born. And you, you can see uh, Shannon has a smile on her face. She's saying, I'm glad it was over. What, it was a, <laughs> hey, man, it, it was a journey. <laughs> Thank God he's here. And uh, he's been such a joy in our family. And do you know that God uses natural things like this to help you understand the joy that you bring Him when you're born again. Do you know that you bring Him joy? You're not... A, you know, I've talked to so many people that have such a horrible image of themselves. And they, they've been thought to themselves that I'm just a mistake. In fact, I remember my wife and I just about a month ago, we talked to a young lady. I, I, it was actually devastating to hear this. A young lady who said that, and she was in our office, and she says, I, I feel so sad because of the memory of my mother who told me when I, she was three or four years old, she said, I wish you were never born. And she remembered, and she's a middle-aged woman today, but she remembered the words of her mother when she was four years old that said, I wish you were never born. Do you know that those kind of words stick with people for life? But I want to tell you something and give people hope. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that if my father or my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And there's a promise there. But, but I, want to, I want to talk to you this morning about what it is to be born again and what that means. And I want you to go with me into Luke 15. Luke chapter 15 this morning. And I want you to see what Jesus... Jesus had a way of connecting with people. And I want to say to you this morning, Jesus wants to connect with you. He wants to connect with your life. He's not interested in just rescuing you from sin. But He's actually interested in baptizing you with power. He's interested in bringing such a shift in the way you think, such a paradigm shift in your thinking, that you actually begin to see yourself as an individual who's filled with the joy and the glory of God, you're a reflection of the very image of the God that you're connected and related to. 
But here we find in, Je- in Luke 15:1, it says that the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Turn to your neighbor and says, He'll receive you. Jesus receives you. Notice what it says. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Aren't you glad Jesus receives us all? (laughs) He received them. He didn't condemn them. He received them. And so he spoke a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? And he goes after the one. Everyone, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, He's coming after you. All right, some of you are getting nervous right now. The Bible says He's coming after you. He's coming after you. Praise God. He's coming after the one. He didn't say He's coming after the crowd. He's coming after the one. Everyone say the one. The reason why He's making that point in this parable is because so many of us feel like we're just a face in the crowd. We're lost in the crowd. But he says here, the one that was lost, he went after him until he finds it. That means God's not giving up until he finds you. That means he is not going to give up until you know, until you know how much he loves and knows about you. He's not going to give up on you. That's what it says here. Until he finds you. And notice what it says, verse 5. And when he has found him, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Notice that it didn't say he laid it on his shoulders complaining. God didn't say that this poor lost sheep has disappointed me. He's just bummed me out because I had to leave the 99 and go find you. No, he says when he finds you, he lays you on his shoulders and he rejoices. Now this scripture is trying to give us insight to the demeanor of the God we serve. He's a father who rejoices in connecting with you. He loves it when He finds you. And then He says, and when He comes home, He calls together His friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with Me, for I found My sheep which was lost. And I say to you likewise, there is more joy. Everyone say more joy. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just purse people who need no repentance. Amen. You bring your Father joy. Now I want you to really let that sink in for a little bit. Because when it comes to your life, you matter to Him. And you bring Him lots of joy. You're not a mistake. You're not just a problem. I know maybe people have said some things, and fathers and mothers might have told you in the past that You've let them down, and maybe you haven't made the grade, but the Bible says that you make your heavenly Father rejoice in heaven. And it says here that when He finds you, He lays you on His shoulders. In other words, that means that when He comes to you, He's going to carry you. 
You're not going to have to carry yourself. He's going to carry you. And he goes home, and you know what he does? He calls a party. How many here have ever had a party? How many of you believe that the church ought to start having more parties in the church? Now, I know some of you never thought about having a party in the church, but God never intended for church to be a reverent, poor, somber, sad, holy, bleak, morbid, ritualistic, dead way of life. He intended for it to be a live party, rejoicing, because He has found you. <laughs> he has found you. You were the reason. And He likes you a lot. And by the way, I just have a little announcement to make. That God is never in a bad mood. Amen. He's always in a good mood. He doesn't have a bad hair day. He doesn't get depressed. He doesn't get depressed like you get depressed with your kids. God is always on the throne. And the Bible says that His judgment, His wrath has passed over us. That's why we celebrate what we call as the Feast of Passover. That means His judgment has passed over us and we now become recipients of His grace and mercy today. That's why we can rejoice today. In other words, He knows that in order for you to really be healed and restored, you need to have an image of your Father in Heaven who really rejoices over you. The Bible says in the book of Zephaniah that He actually sings over you. He rejoices over you. He sings about you. Psalms 139 says that His thoughts towards you are good and precious. And that if He could number them, it says that if He could number His thoughts about you, it would be more than the sands of the sea. Isn't that amazing? You know, i got to tell you something. I, uh, I have my little grandson, Ethan, and we had Ethan over this past week. And you know, one of the things that Grandpa does nowadays is I buy cheap glasses. And... Uh, I buy my glasses. I used to buy $200 glasses, prescription bifocals. I'm giving away my age here. But now I buy reading glasses at dollar stores. And my wife and I, we go in and buy bags for $0.99 cents a piece. Well, every, I mean, every time I got glasses, Ethan, my little grandson, Ethan, he goes for the glasses. And he tears, and also Reagan. Reagan's done this too. They will just rip my glasses apart. I mean, and they're just, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you don't want to tear my glasses. And she, they just love to rip. They just tear the glasses apart. And uh, you know, the thing about it is, it doesn't bother me because they're my grandkids. And you know, I'd rather have them in my house and on my lap, and I'd just love to throw them in the air and tease them and have a great time with our granddaughter and grandson. And you know, you have a Heavenly Father who loves and he the Bible says here he rejoices over you with joy. I want you to jump over with me to John chapter 3 because we're going to look at some of the distinctives about the born again experience because this is really important. A lot of people today maybe you've heard this and a lot of people today they, they in America today we we really don't know what it is to be born again. There are many people that don't 
I've heard people that say, well, I, I thought being born again meant that I, I, I start to turn over a new leaf and I'm, I'm going to start going to church and I'm going to stop all my bad habits. I'll stop smoking, stop drinking, stop smoking weed, put, throw my playboys away, and I'm going to straighten my life up. And they think that's being born again. No, all you're doing is just kind of fixing the outside, but you're not changing the inside. And you see, God's not interested in just changing the outside. He's not interested in you just all of a sudden making a new ritual in your life. Well, I think we'll start going to church on a Sunday morning. No, that, that's not what God's interested in. It's possible for you to come to church. In fact, it's even possible for you to pastor a church and still go to hell. Do you know that there's pastors in hell? Do you know why? Because they've never been born again. It's possible to know the Bible. It's possible to be raised in a Christian home and still go to hell. It's possible. There's people that... I, 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 as I've been a pastor over 25 years and I've heard it all. I've had people say, Pastor, I know I'm born again because my, my mother told me I was. My mother told me. Grandma told me when I was a little kid I was going to go to heaven because my grandma said she was praying for me and so I'm going to heaven because grandma told me. Well, praise God for grandma's prayers, but that doesn't guarantee you're born again. Just being born again doesn't mean because you, you, you do community good works. Well, hey, I go down and feed the homeless and I help and shelter. Even those, those things are great and awesome. That doesn't mean you're born again. Now, I know that, wow, I know probably of you, all of you, some of you look really depressed right now. That's God, Pastor Ray. Man alive, you kind of shot my bubble out there right there. Well, let me teach, just tell you, I, I kind of sometimes I feel like a glorified travel agent. My point is, I want to make sure you catch the right plane. Okay? I want to make sure you got the, on the plane. I want to make sure you make the journey. I, I don't want anybody to miss the plane. Amen. How many here have ever missed the plane? Anybody out there missed the plane? A bus? Missed a, well, the most important appointment in your life is when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You want to make sure you got the ticket. You want to make sure you know the Lord. Amen? You, you never want to assume and play a guessing game with this thing. So when we're talking about being born again, Jesus was not interested in just bringing a bunch of people to church and just having them just kind of put on a mask. No, God was interested in bringing you into His world and transforming your life and actually making you into His very image where you reflect the power and the love and the kindness that Jesus had. In fact, all of us were created in God's image to literally look, talk, and walk just like Him. Some of you may say, well, Pastor Ray, wow, God's got a lot of work to do on my life. Well, guess what? He's already done it on the cross, and when Jesus said, it is finished, what that means is that your salvation was complete. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you are a perfect person, but the redemptive aspect was perfect. And that, that means that He has brought you into complete righteousness and complete holiness. And He has made you complete in Him. Not of works, 
lest we should boast. But by His grace, and His grace, amen. Now, notice with me John chapter 3. Here is a religious man, Nicodemus, coming to Jesus. And he says this. In verse 2, Jesus, uh, the man came to Jesus by night and said, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Everyone say see. Now what is he talking about here? Jesus is saying, unless one is born, you can't see it. That means you will not comprehend it. You will not be able to wrap your brain around this concept. That's why there's a lot of people today, if you have not seen Jesus, let me tell you, to see the kingdom means you see the king. Now let me tell you what it means to see the king. Now first of all, in America, we do not have a government that is ruled by a king or a kingdom. We are in a republic. We have a government that is ruled by the people. For the people, of the people, by the people. But Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. Now when we think of kings, most kings on the earth are people that are usually separated from their people. They usually have a high status, very wealthy, they're separated. And when people live in a kingdom, usually you live to honor the king. In a kingdom, you usually live and you go to war for the king or the queen. Many people will die. I will go and I will die. Long live the king. They will go and they will die on behalf of the king. Many people will die and lay down their life for the king. In fact, most people today... On earth, when we think of kings or queens, we usually think of people that are kind of out of touch with the rest of us, don't we? Ever thought about a king or a queen? They're really not in touch with the common folk. Most kings and queens are stuck up. Most of them, they live off the taxes of the people. Many of them are out of touch with the concerns of the issues of the people that are in their kingdom. But when Jesus came and He preached the kingdom, His kingdom is a complete reverse of what it is on earth. Instead of you going and dying for the king, this king came and He died for you. He's a king who goes to war and He lays His life down instead of you Instead of him demanding honor from you, he comes to honor you by laying his life down. And he makes a point of letting you know how you bring such joy to him in so much as that he sent his only son to die so that you could live forever with him. In other words, salvation. At our salvation, when we are born again, we are introduced into a kingdom of honor. Jesus didn't come to just rescue you. He come to honor you. He come to empower you. Let me tell you why. Because it's that kind of life. It's that kind of relationship 
that brings honor to Him when He begins to honor you. Now, I want to take you to a scripture that's a powerful scripture. This is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Notice what it says. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. Everyone say firstborn. I want you to understand what this means. That means He's the first of many. That means He's raised you from the dead too. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Everyone say, He loves me. Say, He washed me from our sins in His own blood and hath made what? Us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever. Notice what it says. A lot of us, we just stop short of the fact that He loved us and washed us. No, it says that He went along and He made you kings. In other words, He's invited you into a kingdom and He wants you to start thinking like a king. Have you ever thought of that? Well, how does, how does a king think? What does it mean to live like a king? Well, we're going to look at some of those things. First of all, a king is a person who lives in royalty. Have you ever thought of yourself being Look at your neighbor and say, you're royalty. There's royalty in you. You're kingly. You're a queen. You're a king. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, come on. Aren't we just kind of getting a little bit of egotistical? We're kind of getting overboard here. No. My Bible says that the blood did not just love us. He didn't just love us and wash us. He's made you kings. See, a king is a person who has dominion. They have authority over their enemy. He didn't make you a slave. He didn't make you just a pawn. You're not a pauper. You're a king. He's called you a priest. A priest is one who is separated, set aside for relationship as well as to intercede on behalf of others. In other words, God has put His hand upon you and He's called you to be kings and priests over the whole earth. Can you say amen to that? Now, I want you to jump with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, by the way, I just hope some of you, if you're not coming out, if you've never been discipled, I pray you'll come out to our discipleship class. My son David is teaching an awesome discipleship class, and I'm teaching Acts class, and we're going to be teaching this tomorrow. And how many of you know we need to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God? Because the Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But in Acts chapter 9, we have an amazing, powerful testimony that shows us the power of God's grace. Aren't you thankful for His grace? See, God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. And here there's a man, his name is Saul of Tarsus. Saul, the Bible says in verse 1, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went with the high priest and asked letters uh, from him to Damascus so that he could find any that were in the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
But in verse, thir- in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly, everyone say suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then he, the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? In other words, this is going to be a tough road for you, partner, if you keep going this way, is basically what Jesus is saying. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right there, you ought to put in the Bible, that's what it means to be born again. Is when you begin to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know you're born again. It's not, what do I have to do? What do, what do, okay, okay, we're going to start getting churchy and religious. What do I got to do? See, that, that's, that's not being born again. A person who says that like that, they've never seen the goodness of God. But when, here, here Paul has been connected. And by the way, just to let you know something, that the light and what he saw was not a God who was full of wrath. It was a God who was full of grace. In fact, if you go in your Bibles, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to go back there. Notice what it says. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who hath shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul saw? Paul saw God in His glory, and he actually saw Jesus smiling at Him. Now I want you guys to hear something, and this is going to help us to relate. How many of you remember last week, it was all over the news about the two terrorist bombers in Boston? Remember that? Everybody remember that, what happened? The guy that went up the brothers and blew up the marathon and the whole thing? Those guys were terrorists. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, or Saul in this case, do you know that he was a terrorist? He did the same thing. He had people arrested. He had people killed. He had them taken into prison. He had them murdered. And the Bible says this, if you go back into Acts chapter 26, Paul gives a long chapter there about all the atrocities that he did before he became a Christian. Aren't you thankful that God's love is greater than our sin or our problems? But I know right now it's kind of fresh and we're all sensitive to what happened and, and it was deplorable and it was really bad what happened in Boston. In fact, it's, it's, it's really bad what anybody could ever do to anybody. But I'm going to give you an example. Here, John, I want you to do me a favor here. Uh, here John, stand up over here, would you? Dave, could you come up over here? I, I, I want, actually, guys, just go and stand against the wall here. I'm just going to pick on a couple. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, Jonathan, you come over here too. Okay? Jonathan, you go over and stand against the wall. Now, I want everybody here to imagine these guys are dead. 
And all we have at church today is a widow. Here's the widow. Here's another widow. Sorry, James. And I'm Saul of Tarsus. And I'm coming to the church. It's what happened in the early church. All of a sudden, Ananias gets up and he introduces Saul. Hi, guys. Praise God. Oh, Dana. Wow. Sorry, I had your husband killed last year. I took him out and had him stoned with us Pharisees. Wow. Oh, Kathy. Wow, your husband was an elder, a leader in the church. And now I stand before you as an apostle. How many of you want to join my church? <laughs> Why am I making this point? Is because we have no idea how great God's grace is. See, you know what? Let me tell you something. What we do. By the way, guys can come and sit down. You're, you're, they're alive. We're going to raise them from the dead. Amen. Right now. Praise God. I want to tell you, I'm glad. Remember what Paul says, my hands are free from the blood. Paul said in Timothy. That's, that's a pretty awesome thought. Isn't it amazing that God didn't choose a man, a man that wrote most of the New Testament was a terrorist. Think about it. He was a terrorist. He was a mean, evil, he was a religious nut, a fruitcake. The guy was a, on a religious a rampage to take and destroy families and to stop those people who were in the way. And yet, I don't know about you guys, but if I would have been the Holy Spirit or a part of the Trinity, and thank God I'm not, but if I would have been, I would have said, man, Lord, why don't you choose some nicer person? Somebody that could have some credibility with the people. Why a terrorist? Why would God choose somebody that's already going to create a lot of problems in the church? How many of you know? How many have ever thought that you were beyond hope? Amen? I think a few of you are honest ones. Well, I, I felt that. Have you ever felt like you were beyond hope? I want to tell you something right now. I want you to see something. Jump with me down on this passage. The Lord talks to Saul, and the Bible says that he's literally blinded by the light of God's glory. By the way, God did not blind him because God was punishing him. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus already took your punishment. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are unpunishable. You cannot be punished anymore because Jesus took the full blow of your punishment. All He has for you is mercy and grace. And He's come to honor you by making you a king and a priest. I don't know about you, but that kind of message is a message that really compels me to believe there's hope for me. Even if I was a terrorist. But notice here, this is what happened. It Notice verse 10 in Acts 9, And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. To him the Lord said, gave him a vision, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and acquire of the house of Judas for a one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Here's this terrorist, he's now praying. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how he has harmed and done much harm to the saints in Jerusalem. How many of you believe you would not want to hear a word like that from God? I don't think I'd want to hear a word from to go lay my hands on a terrace and say, he's now going to be the leader of the church of Jesus Christ. What am I saying all this for, this morning? Because God wants to enlarge our understanding of what His grace is. Amen? Are you with me? Now notice what it says. Verse 14, And He has authority from the chief priest to bind and all who are called on your name. Now notice verse 15. What does the Lord say to Ananias? Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine. Everyone say chosen. Here's what happens at his spiritual birth. God doesn't come to Saul and say, Saul, you wicked, evil, degenerate, evil person. You hurt my church. You killed my servants. I am going to punish you. No, what God does is he says, He's my chosen servant. You know why God can do that? Because Jesus already took Paul's punishment. And you know what? How many of you know that it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance? And here we find here that when He not only says that He's chosen, but God puts within Him this responsibility and says, I have called this guy to bear my name to take the responsibility of my name to the Gentiles. I'm here to tell you this morning, God has a high calling on your life. Let me tell you what the next great move of God is in the church. It's you discovering you. It's you discovering who you really are. You're chosen. You are blessed. God has come even today. And I, you know what? You know what the devil is? The devil has done a work on people's head, in their mind. The devil has worked on them and told you, you're no good. Look at all the dirty little secret uh, skeletons in your closet. If the church only knew who you really were, oh, they would shame you publicly. And now we, we don't even understand the grace of God. We don't understand the depths of it. When Saul came and stood before those people, you know what did he say? You know what? It's, it's amazing. This is how powerful grace is. Jump with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. This is Paul's response. Because he's raising up this young Timothy. Young Timothy. I'm sorry, this is 1 Timothy, not 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's enabled me, putting me, He's counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer. That means a phony, a blasphemer. A persecutor. I was an insolent man. That means he was hard. Hardened man. But I obtained mercy. 
because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant was with faith and love which are in Christ. You know what he's saying here? Not only did Jesus show mercy, but He had faith in me. Do you know He has faith in you? It's not because of your strength. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit that He has faith in you. You see, what He's trying to do, He's trying to let you know that it's not all about you. I, I want to just tell you folks this morning that our born-again experience is about you seeing the kingdom. And when you begin to see, you know, this, this past week the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, Ray, there's a lot of people in churches today that have never seen a miracle. There are people that have never really experienced the touch of Jesus' presence on their life. They've never experienced the touch of God. You know, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Ray, I want you to lay hands on people that want a touch from God. And they're going to experience the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of you want to experience God in your life? Well, I, I'm going to make a prayer here in a little bit. Or I'm going to just lay hands on you. And God's going to come all over you. God's going to come by His Spirit on, on you and in you and through you. And you know what He's going to do? He's going to show Himself to be real inside of you. Now notice what Paul also goes to say. This is faithful and worthy of all acceptance. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. You can line up all the sinners in around the world and Paul says, I stand out as the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. Why did that happen? For this reason, verse 16, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Can you say amen? God is saying the reason why He saved you is because He's going to use you to give hope to people who for all their life have been nagged with the idea that they were never good enough or worthy enough of His grace. By the way, we're never worthy of His grace. But we're not saved by our merits. We're saved by His grace and His love. So what happens? What happens when we're born again? Guess what happens? He promotes you. It's a time for promotion. It's a time for honor. It's a time to let you know. It's a paradigm shift. He doesn't punish you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. What He does, He says, I welcome you into My family. I crown you with loving kindness. I give you royalty and I call you to be a king and a priest unto Me. And I send you out with a weapon in your hand and I give an anointing and I give you fresh purpose for your life. There's so many people today. They've lost touch with their sense of purpose and destiny. Jesus said, if any man be born, you can't see the kingdom. In other words, you can't even see yourself exceeding, excelling. To see the kingdom means that you see yourself in the way God planned and destined and designed for you. To see the kingdom means that you see your marriage strong and vibrant and fervent. 
To see the kingdom see means that your children and your grandchildren are touched with the grace of God and the blessing of God remains on your family. And you know that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. That's what it means to see the kingdom. It means you're blessed and highly favored. It means you're in the kingdom. you're, You're no longer just drifting. You're no longer lost. You're not just some religious basket case, but you're a man, a woman with a mission, with a sense of honor, with a sense of understanding that He's called you, anointed you, and will use you to touch other people. Do you know why Jesus chose 12 disciples that were fishermen, publicans, tax collectors? He didn't go into the church to choose them. He chose just ordinary people. And those ordinary people turn the world upside down. Jump back with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Notice when Nicodemus is asking, Lord, how can this, these things be? Can a man go back to be born in his mother's womb? And, and Jesus in verse 10 said, Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say, we speak what we know and have seen, but you do not receive our witness. Notice what Jesus says about Nicodemus. He says, you, you believe in the signs. You know I'm a man come from God, but you don't receive me. Verse 12, I have told you earthly things. How do you not believe? How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Being born again is a heavenly experience. Now notice verse 13, a very, very important verse in verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven. That means no one in their own merit can go to heaven and find that place of peace or find heaven on their own terms. But he who came down, everyone say came down. That means Jesus took the initiative and reached out to us. Now notice this. He came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now that is interesting. He not only came down, but he's still in heaven. What does that mean? That by his mercy and grace, he raised me up and seated me with him in heavenly places. I'm not only in heavenly places on earth, but I'm also in heaven. That's what it says. He came down from heaven, but he's still in heaven. That's what it says. He who came down from heaven, who is still in heaven. In other words, being born again means that I am no longer living towards heaven, but I'm living my Christian faith from heaven. Everyone say from I'm living from a place of honor. I'm living from a place of relationship and mercy. I'm living from a place of being an overcomer. I'm not living towards this. I'm not attempting to find holiness. I'm not attempting to be strong. I'm already more than a conqueror. I'm already holy. I'm already righteous. I'm already above reproach. Now, jump over with me to Colossians chapter 1. These are some really important passages here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father. Everyone say, please the Father. 
that in him all the fullness and by him to reconcile all things to himself that means restore God has restored you whether things on earth things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind have you ever felt like you're an outsider I just don't belong here the Bible says the blood of Jesus has torn down that wall. He's all, you, might, you might feel alienated and you might feel like you're a stranger in the kingdom, but the Bible says the blood of Jesus has already made you right with Him. Isn't that powerful? The blood has already made you right with Him. Now you may say, Pastor Ray, is there anything on my part that I... No, no, let's, let's continue. Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy. Everyone say holy. Say blameless and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard from which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, am made a minister. Can you say amen? I'm going to just jump to my notes here. Okay. There we go. Let me see. Number one. Four things, and I'm closing here about what it means. He opens our eyes to a whole new world, to see and to comprehend. Amen. How many of you know God's going to touch your, heart, your mind? Going to open your eyes to see where you stand with Him. The Bible says that He's made a way where there is no way. Number two, salvation is not the end game, but a launching point for a life filled with kingdom adventure and activity. Can you say amen? God has called you to be filled with His love, with His power. There are three things that every believer has when you're born again. Number one, you are made right with God. Number two, you have a testimony. Every one of you have a testimony right now. Number three, you have a message. God has given you a message to preach and to share. Uh, uh, actually, the, another one is that all of you have a gift. God has anointed you with special gifting to do greater works. Salvation is not the end. No, salvation is the beginning of a life field. God, through His kingdom, has pulled you into His world. I, I want to tell you something that we kind of say, and we've said it through the years, to invite Jesus into our heart. Do you know that that's not even scriptural, to invite Jesus into our heart? Jesus never asked us to invite Him into our heart. What He asked us was for us to be invited into His world. We're invited into His world. I'm not inviting Jesus into my heart so I can keep doing my thing. No, He's invited me into His world for me to follow His thing. He's got a bigger and a better thing going than I got. Number three, salvation is more than a fresh start or a new beginning, but a radical identity shift in your spirit man. He brings you out of slavery to sonship. You don't think like a slave anymore. By the way, if any of you this morning, you feel you have addictions in your life, do you know that that's already been taken care of at the cross? You are not a slave, you're a daughter, you're a son of the king. 
The Bible says we've been made more than conquerors. He brings us from being a pauper to a king, from bondage to freedom, from weakness to power. You may say, well, Pastor, I don't feel like I'm very strong. Well, we don't walk by our feelings. We walk by faith. Amen. Being born again is a walk of faith. And that means that we begin to declare those things that are not as though they are. The last thing is salvation is the next great move of God, which is you discovering of who you are in Christ. Amen? Let me close with this scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I pray you follow with me this morning on these scriptures because these things are the key that God has initiated and He's birthed in the church. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk in the rest of the gen as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He's talking about in the foolishness of their mind. Having their understandings darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. In other words, ignorance is not an excuse. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ hath forgiven you. Can you say amen? amen? The born again experience is a shift. It's a promotion into a place of intimacy and relationship with our Heavenly Father. He rejoices over you. He celebrates your birth. He celebrates you. And He celebrates you because He wants you to be encouraged. There's a lot of people today that don't know the Lord. And people need the Lord more than ever. People need God. Today, we live in a society that is so, so dysfunctional. They are so disconnected to what it really means to experience what Jesus refers to as abundant life. And today, I just feel in my spirit that there's some maybe here today You've only known the Lord from a religious standpoint like Nicodemus. He was a scholar. He was a doctor of the law. But yet Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about. 
Jesus said, no man can see the kingdom. You can never experience that abundant life until you're born from above. John 1.11 says this. That, well, let me, let me read it. I don't want to mess this up. It's so, because this, this is really the key in being born again. It says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him. Everyone say receive. To them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The key is, do you receive Him? Receiving Jesus doesn't mean that I just kind of add Him to my little cart in life. To receive Him means to receive His Lordship. To receive Him as King. Jesus said no man can see the kingdom. To experience the, the abundance and the love and the provision of the kingdom you must accept the King as Lord of your life. That concept of Lordship is not something that we're used to in America. Because the word Lord means Master. It means that, that He's the Master of your life. In America today, going to church for many is a novel thing. It's just a novelty. Many people believe that I'm born again because if I go to church and do a few community things that I'm a good person, that doesn't validate salvation, folks. What validates salvation is a relationship. A relationship. A covenant relationship. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Some of you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I've never heard a message like this. I didn't know the Lord come to honor me. I didn't know that He come to make that kind of a change and difference in my life. I, I didn't know God could take a terrorist and change him by His grace. There's some things in my life I need changed. There's some things in my life I want to know the Lord. I need to know the Lord. I need to know His saving grace. I need to know the power of His love in my life. I need Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning may say, Pastor Ray, I, I need that. I need that transformation. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If that's you this morning, the Lord's laid this message on my heart. All right, I see your hand. Anyone else? I need to make an exchange in my life. I need Jesus to become Lord and Savior. He wants to be more than a friend. He wants to be your Lord and God. Anyone else? Anyone else? I need Jesus. I need a fresh touch from the Lord. I need the reality of His power and presence. Maybe this morning some of you may feel, um, maybe some of you may need a healing in your heart. I, I felt this morning that someone came this morning with a broken heart just, just so broken, and you've even felt, I don't know if I can even get up. I don't even know if I can ever experience, if I can even love again. I, I just felt like someone was so 
hurt, so pierced with disappointment. And the Lord just wants to just touch a person this morning that has a broken heart. Also this morning, the Lord just laid on my heart that someone has entertained suicide. I don't know who it is, but someone has been entertaining thoughts of suicide. It's just been a thoughts that have gone through your mind. You've just come to a point where you don't know where to turn. You don't even really know why you're here today. The Bible says that He directs our steps. He orders our steps. Maybe this morning, if that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand on any of those things I just mentioned. Anyone? Anyone else? Okay? Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Bring it down. Carol, I'm going to have my wife play the piano if we can. Okay? Amen. Would you just bow your head again? If any of you would like to come down for prayer this morning, I want to pray with you. If, if you need salvation, you need the Lord, saw some of your hands, I'd love to pray with you this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving. It's a time for honor. It's a time where God comes to honor you with His loving kindness. David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He's the first physical king in the old covenant that represented a new covenant in one sense because God gave him peace and God established the kingdom of David as it pointed to a messianic kingdom that was to come. Amen. Let's just take each other by the hand. I know none of us, none of you have come down, but I, I feel the Holy Spirit just wants to touch our lives. Father, we just thank you today for your love and kindness. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have translated us out of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. Father, we come, we offer to you, Lord, our hearts and our lives. Lord, we choose to follow Jesus. First of all, Lord, we choose to receive the work at Calvary. We choose to receive the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we come to You today. We offer ourselves to You, as Paul says, to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in Your sight. Lord, we ask You, Lord, to make the way plain. Make it clear for us, Lord. Father, we pray that You would touch our hearts and our homes with Your Holy Spirit, Your presence. Lord, transform our marriages, Lord. Touch our children, Lord. We know that we are living in days where the things of God seem to be desensitized because of the things in the world. Lord, we ask You, Lord, to just invade us, Lord. Touch our hearts, Lord. We will draw nigh to You. As you draw nigh to us, Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your great love today. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you come to honor us by choosing us and making us a special people unto yourself. Father, be with us as we go. Even bless our time, our potluck together this afternoon. We ask you to just... Bless our fellowship, and we give you high praise. And everyone said, Amen.